thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. Welcome to Wellness Women Radio for the women with big dreams who dare to be different and who want to thrive in health, work and play. Dr. Ashley Bond and Dr. Andrea Huddleston bring you a weekly podcast to help you master true health and create an exceptional life. Hello, wonderful listeners, and welcome to this week's episode of Wellness Women Radio. I'm Ashley. And I'm Andrea. And we are very happy to have you back on board again this week. And welcome to all our new listeners. We've had uh, a big influx of uh, downloads lately, so I'm guessing that there's a whole lot of uh, ladies listening in that are new to the show. So welcome and thank you for tuning in. Thanks for finding us. Um, And thank you, friends, who passed the info on to get you on board as well, because we certainly love going uh, deep into some of the really important women's health concerns, helping you solve problems, helping you... uh, equip yourself with the tools and the information you need to make better better lifestyle choices, better health choices, and uh, hopefully work with the right practitioners to solve your health problems. Now, today's a really interesting topic because... Hey, Ash, um, before you go into that, can I just give a shout out to one of our newest listeners? Yeah. Um, now, I just want to say a quick hello to Ben, who is a 13-year-old boy who has now downloaded and listened to Wellness Women Radio, which I think is just amazing. So, hey, Ben, thank you so much. Oh, um, He was also legend. horrified um, that my my nickname is the period whisperer and he was like very clear that I you know that's pretty embarrassing um yep totally understand but hey Ben thanks for tuning in yeah well done buddy that's awesome and just uh equipping yourself with some info about some really cool stuff especially all the gut health stuff it's not whether you're a man or a woman it all applies to all of us so that's fantastic I hope you're learning lots and uh yeah great stuff love that that's yeah cool so not just reaching the ladies out there so sorry guys that are listening in yes you guys too thank you very much for jumping on board and uh for breaking the taboo of women's gossip shows you're uh, jumping into something educational, which is really cool. So we were going to go um, into today a topic called uh, SIBO. And there's a lot of people who've heard about this. Probably usually it's because they've had some either diagnosis with SIBO or they know someone who's been affected by SIBO. And um, SIBO is an acronym, S-I-B-O. And we'll talk more about what it is and you know what it can do to your body and some of the challenges that uh, SIBO causes to the gut health itself and obviously overcoming that, you know, what options we've got. Now, it is important today, we're not going to dive a whole lot and too deep into some of the solution stuff. It is very complex. We're going to do kind of like SIBO 101 and we definitely would love to bring on someone who is an expert um, in integrated medicine practitioner so that they can talk more about the actual sort of diagnostic solutions for SIBO. But we've got some pretty good info on all of this and it'll give you a good understanding of what it is and some of the shortcuts in lifestyle changes you can start to make to help overcome SIBO, which is so important. Awesome. Um, And Ash, you're absolutely right. It's such a big topic and it's becoming so much more popular now. And I'm not sure if it's because uh, the testing is becoming a little bit more streamlined and people are actually looking for it. um, Or now we're actually understanding a lot more about the impact that's having on symptomatology um, and why it's posing such a problem for so many people. Um, And the prevalence is huge. So um, when we're talking about SIBO or small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, you know, 15% of the normal, quote unquote, normal population may have this, but about 80% of anyone who has like irritable bowel symptoms typically also have SIBO. Um, so it's a huge amount of people. Um, and I think a lot of them have are completely undiagnosed as well. Um, but before we go into sort of too much info about that, I guess we should really talk about what it actually is and why it's a problem. 
because uh, it's a pretty interesting acronym with a really big, long name. But why is increased bacteria in your small intestine a problem? Why yeah. is that an issue? And as we know, so much of our body is bacteria. When we're outnumbered, bacterial cells to human cells tend to one. So, you know, why is it that this particular bacterial overgrowth is such a concern? Um, and I think really comes down to is we want to have bacteria all throughout our body and throughout our system because it's most of them are symbiotic. They work with us. They help our health. They improve a lot of functions. The thing is bacteria need to be in the right places. And so this mm-hmm. is one of those conditions where to say I'd say good bacteria because they're not pathogenic necessarily nasty bacteria. They're just not in the right place. Yeah. So they, once they're in the wrong place, they do the wrong things and therefore they cause problems. So they, you know, these uh, these bacteria that we're talking about, they really should mostly be in the colon and the large intestine. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, and there's a couple of different reasons which we'll talk about, they've managed to come into the small intestine and they're creating an overgrowth. So they've got in there, they've found a lovely, happy environment for them. They've multiplied rapidly. They've filled, you know, up all the space and now they're starting to do all the wrong things. Um, and that's really important to understand that we've got this, you know, important digestive tract running from the mouth to the anus and all throughout there, there's backs, bugs and bacteria the entire way through and they're all doing jobs for us. Um, but of course, in the small intestine, which is where we digest and absorb the food, you want to have the right bacteria in there because you need to assimilate the nutrients from food. And of mm-hmm. course, this is one of the big side effects of SIBO is that you're not assimilating or absorbing nutrients well. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the presence of that overgrowth of bacteria in the small intestine actually not in, not only impacts, you know, the way that your gut functions, but it actually impacts the structure of it as well. So it actually changes your entire structure of your small intestine. So when we're talking about things like leaky gut or that, um, you know, increased permeability of the gut lining, SIBO is one of the major causes of that um, because of how it can actually damage the um, small bowel mucosa as well. Um, so then it's allowing, you know, some of the larger protein molecules into the bloodstream, which causes a whole host of immune reactions that we, you know, have talked about. Um, at nauseum probably on the on the podcast as well, which includes increasing all sorts of um, set food sensitivities. You're going to get all sorts of inflammation and an increased risk of autoimmune diseases as well. So SIBO not only can change the way you're absorbing and assimilating food, but it changes the structure and the function of the small intestines as well. Yeah, so it damages the gut itself, which is um, concerning because then you've got to look at ways in which to either deal with the overgrowth, which we'll talk about which ways is most common, and then you've got to heal and repair, and then you've got to restore and rebalance the gut flora. So it's it's a very challenging thing to overcome, and it's generally underdiagnosed, and it's really because most people don't go to their doctor for some of the SIBO symptoms. I mean, how, mm-hmm. how many people are experiencing things like abdominal pain and discomfort, you know, cramping, um, some gas and bloating? They might just think they're having a passing, um, they've had response to a food that they don't they don't deal with well, so they think it's just a food issue. Um, diarrhea and alternating constipation, you know, these are often things that are associated with IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, so they can be missed largely. Gas, belching, farting. Like people often think, oh, that's just normal. I ate, so of course I'm going to fart and I'm going to burp and I'm going to, yeah, um, yeah. you know, get rumbling in my tummy and my tummy gets a bit bloated. Yeah, that's normal. But no, it's not normal. It's an indicator of some changes within the gut itself. So it's good to talk about this because um, so many of these common symptoms are just overlooked. And yeah, it's great to to see if SIBO could be a problem for you, then where do you go? And what do you do? And how do you find out whether you've got SIBO? 
Um, and Ash, I think that in all of the, particularly the initial examinations that I do with patients, I think about 90% of them complain of symptoms like irritable bowel type symptoms. So fluctuating either between constipation or diarrhea or stuck in one of those categories and also experience a lot of that bloating and discomfort. So that's like 90% of my patients have that kind of symptom spectrum. And a lot of them think it's normal. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because I think they've had it for so long. It's like, oh, well, it's become you know, normalized. Maybe, yeah, maybe I only move my bowels once every five days. Um, or I have diarrhea four times in the morning before I leave the house to go to work. Um, you know, all of those things are absolutely warning signs that there's problems there. Like neither of those cases or any of, you know, the symptoms that we've just described are normal. This is not the way your gastrointestinal system is supposed to function. Um, and when you get to a you know, quite extreme end of that, and a lot of the patients that I see with SIBO will come in and they'll say, look at my tummy. I look like I'm five months pregnant. Yeah. And they will like, it's, you know, they've got this really distended, extremely bloated, uncomfortable belly that's rock hard. Um, and it's pretty distressing for them as well. And then if you go down that spectrum of even the severe cases, um, it can be a lot of those symptoms that are associated with nutrient malabsorption and mineral or vitamin deficiencies as well and weight loss too, just because they cannot physically absorb the nutrients from their food that their body needs. Yeah. And do you find a lot of people just dismiss it down to say maybe stress-related issues? Oh, definitely. Yeah, because yeah, I know oh, that's something I've been told yeah. by patients. Oh, it's probably just stress. You know, they think that all the gut stuff is just because oh, they're a bit stressed. And I mean, a lot of us are stressed, but um, gut health should be always be uh, addressed and, and identified because, you know, it can lead to more serious concerns and uh, conditions. The associated conditions with SIBO, the list is enormous. <laughs> um, when I was researching this, I was just fascinated as to, I look, I knew about all the immediate symptoms and connections to IBS and connections to use of contraceptive pill, which we'll talk about in a sec. Um, um, but I was fascinated by the connection to so many um, what we'd probably term loosely immuno kind of inflammatory conditions. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And anything that's, you know, damaging the immune system has such a chronic array of potential effects on the human body because once you drop the barrier, the protective barrier down, then guess what? You're susceptible to so many different concerns and conditions. Mm -hmm. And including gut conditions as well, like yeah. Crohn's disease, ulcerative colitis, diverticulitis, any of those sort of really inflammatory conditions too can certainly be associated with this as well. Um, Ash, should we talk about uh, the, the two different spectrums of either the constipation or diarrhea and sort of what that might potentially be associated with? And this will sort of lead us into um, what we're looking for in treatment as well. So with SIBO, um, What's usually happening is that the bugs are usually producing one of two things, and this is what's detectable on testing as well. And if there is an overgrowth of bacteria specifically, typically that will produce hydrogen gases that's detectable. Whereas if there is an overgrowth of methane, that is usually from archaea um, species of um pathogens, I guess, um, is probably the best way I can describe it. And that's usually more associated with constipation symptoms. Um, so patients who have, say, IBS um, C or irritable bowel type symptoms with constipation as being the overarching symptom that they have, usually, and I'm saying this is like, you know, this is sort of the overarching sort of opinion, is that that's more of a methane um, producing issue. 
um, that's associated with that chronic constipation. That's certainly um, true of what I found in the scientific literature as well. There's the hydrogen producing bacteria is more IBSD, so that irritable bowel type symptoms more with um, diarrhea type symptomatology. Yeah, so that's so important to realise there's two types because um, this is why it's overlooked because we classically think, oh, it should be one, you know, it should be diarrhoea or it should be constipation and then we go down the path there of trying to diagnose from that. I mean, the good thing is it's not that easy to get SIBO. It requires certain conditions in order for the gut to get this bacterial overgrowth. Um, but once established overgrowth, that's the challenge, isn't it? Trying to, um, one, identify the pathogens or identify the overgrowth factor and then two, uh, treat it appropriately for what's there and what needs to be treated. And then it has such a high rate of recurrence, which I think is why it's such a tricky condition. Um, in terms of the patients that I see who actually have SIBO, they've typically seen, you know, between seven to 10 doctors before they've actually had that diagnosis. Um, and these might be functional and integrative um, practitioners as well um, who may have potentially missed it or overlooked it, or maybe the symptoms weren't severe enough for them to go then thinking down that pathway. Or they may have even had inconsistent SIBO testing in the first place. So again, undiagnosed. And then the treatment um, can be pretty, pretty tricky. Um, and the rate of recurrence is so high. So it can be a little bit um, disheartening for them as well. And definitely their quality of life can be dramatically affected. Um, Certainly. But there's, there's so many risk factors um, that contribute to the chances of having that overgrowth in the small bacteria, in the small intestines as well. Yeah. Um, and you may have seen in the media and on our social media last week as well, we were talking about some of the um, the protein pump inhibitors or the medication that's used for reflux, heartburn, um, you know, and ulcers and those sorts of things. Um, so things that change the acidity or the pH of the stomach itself. Now, low stomach acid is actually one of the biggest risk factors for the development of SIBO. Yeah, fascinating, isn't it? And yet here we are uh, affecting our stomach acid with these PPIs to reduce acidity, and yet that starts to set up the environmental, internal environmental conditions in which these bacterial overgrowths can occur. I mean, look, okay, if you're sitting there right now and starting to feel a bit anxious, or you're worried about, because <laughs> I'm just like, sometimes you start to throw these things out there and you're saying, oh gosh, I have that. Yeah, I've ticked that box. Oh my gosh. Um, just hold on a second because, one, it's not contagious. It is generally quite, you know, it's not difficult to get, but it's it's hard to get. There's certain conditions that need to be there. You don't just get it out of the blue. Your body is incredibly intelligent. It um, it has so many mechanisms in play first built in that are going to prevent the bacterial overgrowth. And one of those mechanisms is the acidity in the stomach acid, you know, that kills off the bacteria, mm-hmm. um, which, you know, once you start to play around with medications, you directly affect that. So now you can see why you're actually setting up the environment for the problem. Um, so rather than blaming, you know, stupid gut, student stomach, you think, well, hang on, what have I been doing that could be affecting stomach acid? You've also got digestive enzymes there designed to break down the food. Um, you've got bile, which also kills off bacteria. So these are mm-hmm. these are the mechanisms. There's essentially oh, six, seven different mechanisms. Um You've also got the natural immune system uh, within the gut itself, and that helps to fight off immunes, um, sorry, infections and bacteria. Um Oh, we've got the wave, peristaltic waves, okay? So yeah. they sweep away bacteria, food debris. They don't let things sit around too long. So they're designed to to move things through the system so that you don't have um, byproducts sitting there that become substrate or become food for bacteria. So that's really important to have that, um, what they call the migrating motor complex. And, of yeah. course, then from there as well, you've got the ileocecal valve, which is designed to stop the backflow um, of bacterial food substances from the 
small intestine, from the large intestine, I say back into the small intestine, it's a mm-hmm. junction point and that valve, um, when it's competent, when it's working well, won't allow backflow of products. So therefore, um, another mechanism. So, you know, like these are all normal things within your body and it's designed to keep your body running smoothly. So in order to get SIBO, either one or many of these mechanisms has to have broken down or failed in some way. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And I think that what you were talking about in terms of the function, when it's functioning correctly, then you've got very good protective mechanisms. Um, and then when it's not functioning properly, it means that your system, your normal innate um I guess protection from from these things or that regulation doesn't work as well. Yeah. And for example, having the low stomach acid is going to really impact that. Um, having decreased digestive enzymes or the secretion of that, which is then a flow on effect from that low stomach acid that doesn't create the initiation of that, is also going to affect that too. Um, you know, obviously the irritable bowel syndrome is definitely a risk factor for SIBO as well. Um, having a long standing undiagnosed celiac problem or, say, gluten sensitivity that is not managed well is also a risk factor. Um, Crohn's disease as well. Any kind of prior bowel surgeries too. And that obvious yeah, reasons, gastric yeah. banding. I've had a client with this and it was amazing. Yep. That it all started after he had, and this is a he, had gastric bypass surgery, gastric banding. It was phenomenal yep. to see how one treatment for his issue of weight management turned into a major um functional concern which was going to lead to structural damage as well it was um yeah it was the first for me i went oh wow what goodness me um but of course just think about it as soon as you change the structural function of the bowel you're going to set the conditions for potentially overgrowth so yeah it's it's really interesting just to see how many different ways we could start this concern you know how SIBO could start Mm. um yeah definitely Mm. um even diabetes either type 1 or type 2 can increase your risk of that as well um multiple antibiotics exposure, any kind of dysfunction of any of the things that contribute to the gastroenterosis and the, uh, your gut function. So things like liver cirrhosis, chronic pancreatitis, um, renal issues, and also I think a really big part of this is chronic stress as well. So whenever you're not getting that good, um, appropriate gut function, that good peristalsic action um, from having just like a normal, like I, I think digestive process happening that is constantly, if that's interrupted with that stress response, then that's absolutely going to impact the uh, I guess the growth of that pathogenic bacteria in your gut as well. And it's also going to affect the ileocecal valve too. Yeah. So it's going to change the way that the bacteria is able to sort of migrate into the small intestines. Um, one of the risk factors that I want to spend just a few moments on, um, because this is really important, is the oral contraceptive pill. Now, this is not me just saying it, and this is not a pill bashing session. This is backed by very sound, very high quality research. Um, So in 2008, there was a study that was published in the American Journal of Gastroenterology. Um, It was a meta-analysis. So this is one of the highest levels of evidence that we have um, that was looking at the correlation between the risk of taking oral contraceptives and inflammatory bowel diseases and your risk of things like irritable bowel disease and Crohn's disease and those sorts of things, which also increases your risk for SIBO. So the study found that there was a direct association between the use of oral contraceptives and the development of irritable bowel disease and Crohn's disease in particular. That is a massive 
massive finding um, and it also suggested that the patients who stopped using the pill actually reverted back to that of the non-exposed population. Yeah. So once they came off the pill, they had that potential to heal and change as well. Um, This is really important information for any women who are on the pill and are struggling with their gut symptoms and it could be an easier fix than what you actually think. Yeah, and um, there's other studies out there too. Now, this is another funny one because we're, we're talking to ladies. I know a lot of you girls think uh, it's very nice to have your glass of wine in the evenings as well, but um, they've shown that studies that even just one alcoholic drink a day for women, two glasses for men, is uh, considered an increased risk factor for SIBO. So if you have gut health concerns, um, one of the big things there is have a look at your alcohol consumption as well, just a daily glass, even though then other studies go say, oh, but it's good for your heart, heart, you know, blood pressure. And the other one says, oh, it might ward off Alzheimer's. I mean, this is how challenging it is. Hey, you guys listening, you realize we even laugh at it because we're like, man, once he says this is really good for us, the next thing we're coming out and saying, hey, if you've got gut health, stay away from the alcohol. Um, and the other one says that if I take it, I'll add years to my life like the Mediterranean people do. Um, it's, you know, like how confusing is that? But this is why individualized medicine, and I say this, you know, in a way that this is what the new world medicine, I think, is going towards, this integrative medical approach, um, which Mm -hmm. utilizes nutrition, it utilizes lifestyle, it utilizes, you know, traditional pharmacological if needed, but it's not the first preference. I just think this is the fantastic future for looking after our health, and this is why it's so individualized. If it's affecting you, then it's not okay for you. doesn't matter what the studies say. Yeah, exactly. You know, if we just went off studies, we'd say, oh, well, that says that all all people can't have this or all people can have this, but that's not the case. So please, if you're listening to this and you think, well, eh, it doesn't seem to affect me, then maybe it doesn't affect you. It's, we're not, uh, it's not a black and white rule in a lot of cases, but there are studies that indicate, like the OCP um, contraceptive pill, it is so damaging and we can't overlook that and we can't underplay that either. And I think that it's relative to your situation as well. If you've got Mm. great gut health, um, if your overall health and function is great and you feel you wake up in the morning feeling really vital and all those sorts of things, then, yeah, you can totally get away with having a glass of red wine with dinner. Um, That's not a problem, but it's relative to your situation. So if you have been struggling with these sorts of things, the first place to look and sometimes some of the easiest things that you can change is just those daily habits and the food that you're actually putting in your mouth or, you know, maybe the alcohol as well because that, you know, moderate alcohol consumption is a major risk factor for SIBO as well. Yeah, I've got a controversial one. And I say controversial because this is uh, still some emerging science on this and some people totally blatantly disagree with this and others will say absolutely. But how about things like lack of breastfeeding for infants? Because we know that, Mm -hmm. um, you know, breastfeeding and vaginal delivery sets up the the basically the colony of bacteria that child carries for their life um, and we colonize based upon our exposure to the environment so if it's mum's colonies first if it's you know bacterial uh, colonization from in utero through the gut um, development there it's fascinating to see that sometimes this personal blueprint you carry can either be positive in terms of its um, protective against or it doesn't function as well because possibly um, it was a c-section delivery or no breastfeeding um, introduced into hospital you know bacteria first instead of you know human body colony it's just there's just so much science coming through with this so won't dive into it but it's just an afterthought you know if you've had that concern or you're worried about that too some of those risk factors we just look backwards to look forwards you say well maybe combined with this and combined with that maybe that is the underlying concern is that lack of correct colonization right from the outset 
Mm, yeah, that's, it's such a tricky one, isn't it? Yeah, because, definitely. Um, oh, we're not going to be breastfeeding Nazis this. here either, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's so many women that just don't even have an option. It's not a choice. And if it is yeah. a choice, it's your choice. You have a right to choose. But um, on the flip side, we need to understand that the there's certain consequences of choices and certain outcomes of things Absolutely. that occur and happen to us too. So, yeah. I think that um, that really plays into the informed choice. And if you yep. choose to breastfeed or not breastfeed, what are the implications of that decision, not just for you, but for the baby as well. Um, I think we're digressing into that. That's such an important topic, though. I think that that could totally lead into a whole podcast all on its own. <laughs> oh, I think um, I just must be in baby brain right now. You know, I'm, I'm thinking about, well, uh, just like you said, the implications of all your choices. Be. I'm thinking about all these choices. I've never had to uh, consider them. Well, I consider them for myself, but you know, as we are, we're responsible for our own choices. We kind of live by the sword, die by the sword. But as soon as you're responsible for someone else, you have to sort of go, well, hang on, I can't be as flippant about these choices now. I have to really I want to make informed choices and therefore I'm doing a whole lot more homework and research on some of those things as well so that fell right into the SIBO category which is fascinating and sometimes we only know this information retrospectively so if your upbringing has been say potentially um, a c-section birth no breastfeeding multiple antibiotic exposure and you're wondering if um, you know that could be a reason why you've got these gut issues, then yes, that absolutely can contribute um, without a doubt. So just that information is just something that you can use in your tool belt to arm you with uh, you know, a place for you to go and do some more research as well because we certainly encourage you to be making informed choices for yourself too. Don't believe everything that we're saying um, at all, ever. All <laughs> right. Let's definitely let's... sparking that conversation. <laughs> we're getting, I, yeah. I'm yeah. getting excited. We could go totally on to a new path here. Anyway, tell me, how are we going to diagnose this? stuff. Let's go into, um, you know, categorically figuring out, is this a problem for you? What sort of checks and tests can people be doing? Okay. There is a test um, that's readily available called SIBO test. Um, SIBO is diagnosed via a breath test, um, which is, you know, pretty much one of the major ways of testing uh, at the moment. And it seems to be fairly consistent now. I don't know if it was previously, but the research that's coming out at the moment shows that, yes, it's it's fairly consistent. Um, and you can do pre and post testing as well. It's not overly expensive. I think it's about $100 for the test. Um, and what the test, the breath test is actually measuring is the presence of and the production of either methane or hydrogen gases at a baseline. And then you drink like a sugary solution and you redo that testing procedure. So typically, if you're having this significant increase in either hydrogen or methane after drinking the sugar, it means that you've got an overgrowth of that bacteria or that archaea in your in your gut. Um, so when you're having that overgrowth of, say, methane after drinking the solution, it's because of that high levels of methane rather than at that baseline. So you're entering that sugary solution into your system, it's feeding on that, and then you're getting that methane production from the archaea that is then again detectable on the breath test. Yeah, I know I've seen this um, online. A lot of people can order online tests and things as well, but yeah. I certainly strongly recommend you deal with a practitioner. <laughs> um, it's one thing to get your test and, uh, it, you know, can diagnose SIBO, but it's the next steps from there that make the biggest difference. So um, if you're in doubt and if no one's listening to you and no one's, you don't feel as though your practitioners are taking you seriously and you want to order this test yourself online, um, fantastic, you can do that. But then make sure once you do have the results, consider carefully who you're going to work with after that because you're going to need to deal with this from multiple angles and that's where working in a team environment with uh, it may even be multiple practitioners is going to get mm -hmm. you the best results long term because classically and traditionally one of the number one ways to treat SIBO is antibiotic use isn't it? 
It is, and it's not necessarily in all cases. No. Um, it can be just because it's, you know, a pretty tricky condition to treat. And that's why working with someone who really knows SIBO as well is so important. Um, there's some great resources online that we'll post um, on, you know, all of our social media channels for you. And there's, um, you know, some references for people that you can find in your area that are well-experienced, trained, and know SIBO and how to deal with it as well. There's also been a SIBO summit that I think came out at the end of June, I think. So that might be yeah, definitely worth checking recently. out as well. Yep. Um, so have a look at that um, and definitely speak to your functional practitioners and make sure that they've actually dealt with this before because if they haven't, you don't want to be their test dummy um, because it is a really tricky condition to treat and and to deal with. Um, and it also might mean using a bit of an integrative team as well. I'm working with some fantastic naturopaths um, with doing a lot of visceral work. So that means like specifically like organ manipulation stuff to help to create more peristaltic action or regulate the function of the, of the um, ileocecal valve and those sorts of things, um, which has been really beneficial in those instances. Um, but it's it's also under the guidance of, you know, a whole bunch of other practitioners as well. So it's definitely um, something that works well in a team too. So just so you're aware of those things. Yeah, just quickly because I when you said the SIBO summit, hey, Tiaki, that's our friend Tiaki. That's gorgeous. Uh, Andrea's lovely dog. So if you're new to the show, you, you may not have heard Tiaki before, but <laughs> makes a makes an appearance fairly I'm, fairly I'm frequently. Trying to, I'm trying to mute him sometimes, but uh, oh, <laughs> so I don't always get there quick enough. <laughs> no, he's gorgeous. Um, SIBO sos.com was what um, the SIBO Summit was found at, just in case yes. you want to look that up, SIBOSOS.com. Um, I think you've passed the free trial period, but there's, I'm sure, plenty of resources and free links from there that you can start to explore a bit further. Um, we love it. We've I've listened to a lot of these, uh, well, as a combination of authors, doctors, professionals, and it's when you get the picture coming from all of these different professionals, that's when things start to get really interesting because they've all got their own take on uh, the angles to approach, which is so important because we all have different ways in which we're going to heal our body. All right. So ladies, I know that was uh, probably a big episode that we may have digressed slightly with, but that's okay. <laughs> that is the beauty of this. Um, if you need more information, please let us know um, because this is a pretty tricky, complicated condition. Um, make sure you're communicating with us on Facebook, which is facebook.com forward slash the wellness women. Um, come and join our amazing tribe there. Trust me, you want to be a part of that. Um, follow us on Instagram, which is underscore the wellness women. Um, or, you know, obviously you can email us or find out any information about us personally on the website which is thewellnesswomen.com.au and you can certainly consult with us personally um, and our details are on there um, so ladies we hope that we've given you um, something to think about today we would love to know if you have had an experience with this and if you've worked with a practitioner who really knows their stuff please post that on any of those social media channels because that's definitely going to help people in your area as well ladies until next week be well this has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst The Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of The Wellness Couch podcasts.